turn to his word. Uh, Father in heaven, we, uh, we just love you. You are so good to us. You've done so much for us that we just, um, we are not remotely worthy of. Um, not at all. You're infinitely great, infinitely wonderful. And we just adore you. So today, I, I pray that that would be the cry of each one of our hearts. That as we open the pages of Scripture here in these, these moments, in this time, that this would be an opportunity for us to just say, teach us, we adore you, we want to know you, and, and may we seek your face. Father, I pray for those that are, are traveling today. Uh, we think of the team going to Oklahoma for the, the Lincolns as they um, head back to out west. I uh, just pray that you keep people safe on the road. Uh, we lift uh, those that are, are struggling with their health up to you. We, we think of Marilyn Reed as she's uh, over at West Wing, and we just um, uh, we love her and we care for her in this season of her life right now that she's going through. Uh, we just pray that you'd strengthen her and use her for in, in great opportunities to impact the people that are around her. Um, we thank you for um, Natalie Simon. Uh, we remembered her life yesterday, and as we celebrate her being with you, we, um, we want to pray for her family as, as they mourn the loss of their mother and grandmother and our friend. Um, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word right now, I, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would open our eyes to see things that maybe we haven't seen before. As we celebrate with Felipe this morning in baptism, I pray this be an opportunity for us to rejoice greatly and that you redeem people of all ages and you re- you've, you've redeemed us. And so we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, might you use this service? It might be a celebration of your great work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, um, there's a great practice that we have back in Colorado that, that we did when I grew up. Uh, there's, there's a special time uh, where parents are, are allowed to take their children and to drive off into the wilderness of the mountains and then just leave their children up in the forest somewhere. We call it camp. Uh, <laughs> summer camp is, is, is great, this great opportunity that, that um, we had growing up. And when I was in fourth grade, my parents did that, made that trek, and they took me all the way up into the mountains. And I remember we came over this hill, and we came to this big sign, and it said Camp Idrahaji. And I remember thinking to myself, what in the world is an Idrahaji? Uh, that, that's just, what a word to make up. And my dad said, well, you know what the significance of this is, right? And I said, I, I don't know. It sounds weird. And he says, well, Idrahaji, it's not just a sign that shows you where the camp is. It's a sign that tells you what this camp is all about. He says, each of those two letters stand the first two letters of four different words. Camp, I'd rather have Jesus. And so Camp Idrahaji is a camp that was all about telling boys and girls about Jesus and leading them to the Savior. It was an instrumental camp in my life. It's where I think I first really came face to face with my own sin and how I was separated from this holy God. Uh, but this sign pointed to the significance of what the camp was all about. And so I arrived at Camp Idrahaji. I met my camp. He was an older man of about 60 or so. Uh, when you're in fourth grade, 60 is like ancient. But uh, I remember being an older man with silver hair, and he was very kind and gentle. And and uh, it was a busy first day. We had some activities. We went to our, our cabin, and I, and I told him, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to get up early tomorrow. I'm just going to crash. I've I got to get some sleep, and I'd like to take a shower in the morning. But I don't know where the, the boys' shower room is. 
And so he said, oh, it's easy. And so he walked me out the front door of our cabin. He says, you see that building right over there, that big, long, brown building? I said, yeah. He says, well, that side over there, that's the cafeteria. And as you go back, you'll, you'll see another door. That's the back entrance to the kitchen. And then around the corner is the bathroom. And, and that's where you'll find the showers. I said, okay, great. That's easy enough. So the next morning, uh, sure enough, I woke up for the probably first and last time in my life at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, not a soul was awake in the entire campground. I was the only person walking around. And so I walked over to this building, and, and sure enough, there's the cafeteria where I'm going to have breakfast in a couple hours. And I walked past the building, and there was a locked door that went to the kitchen. And I came around the corner, and there was, sure enough, there was another door. It looks kind of like a little utility closet. Uh, as I walked around, I, I, there was no sign anywhere. And so I said, well, this must be what he's talking about, but I wanted to be sure. So I walked back to the other side of the building, cafeteria kitchen only other door here so this must be this boy's shower room so i went in and and i took care of things and just as i was finishing and and putting my last shoe on i I started hearing voices and there were voices that i normally don't expect to hear in the boy's bathroom two voices in fact And, and they started conversing and and talking about the day and how how they slept last night and and i thought what are these girls doing in the boy's shower room And then I looked up and I realized that the curtain in front of me was pink. (laughs) And the walls were painted pink. And along the edge of the the, the ceiling, there was flower, you know, stencils everywhere. And, And I realized that it was me that was in the wrong place. And so I did what any fourth grade boy would do. I lifted up my feet onto the bench and I held a little ball and I just prayed that they would go away. <laughs> and they continued to talk and asked how they slept and asked who their counselor was and what are we going to do today? What are the games? And then one of them said, You know, I wonder if the water in the showers is warm this time of the morning. So, again, I did what any fourth grade boy would do. I covered my face, I walked past them, said, Excuse me, and I went to my dorm room. And made a, a bolt for it. I told my camp counselor, I said, that is not the boy's shower room. And he laughed and smirked and said, hey, it's okay. I'll show you where it's at later on. And then he went to the camp counselor meeting. And he told every other counselor what had happened to one of his boys that morning. Including Brian Ryan, who was the camp speaker that week. Later on, Brian and I became very good friends. But Brian, being a young 19, 20-year-old first-time speaker at a camp, thought it would be funny to talk about emotions that evening, and, and this is what it looks like when you're happy, and this is what it's like when you're sad, and this is what it's like when you're embarrassed, and he told my story to the whole camp. Oh, I sank in my chair. Again, Brian and I are really good friends. Ah, you know, signs are important. You see... A sign serves a purpose. It points to something more important than the sign in and of it. The counselor took me around the corner and he showed me, see, here's the cafeteria, and here's the kitchen door, and here's the girls' shower room, and if you walk around three more feet, there was a long wall with two signs on the outside, and on the back corner all the way around was a sign that said boys. And inside that room, there were blue curtains and blue walls. The Idrahaji sign points to the camp behind it and what that camp was all about. 
telling boys and girls about Jesus Christ. And on that wall, there was a sign that said girls and boys, and, and it pointed to something that was more significant than the sign itself. You see, the sign didn't mean anything, especially when it wasn't in a really good place. I still think they should put that on the door itself. But signs serve a purpose. It's, it's not to point to themselves. It points to the object that is truly significant. They point to that which is great. And if the sign is not where it's supposed to be, then it's going to, be, it's going to miss its very purpose. We're surrounded by a world of people who are trying to figure out what their life is assigned for. Trying to figure out what their purpose is. They're trying to understand why they're here on this planet. Why do they exist? There are men and women around us having midlife crises because they've invested their lives in careers which they thought would fill what C.S. Lewis used to call the, the God-shaped hole in their heart. They've entered marriages, and their marriages are falling apart because they entered this marriage thinking that that person was the purpose, that that person would somehow fulfill everything that they needed and would fill that God-shaped hole. And they come together and find out that other person didn't bring the fulfillment that they thought that they were going to have, that they were missing before. And all around us are people are looking for purpose. They're looking for their life to mean something, for their life to point to something else that's truly significant. And Colossians, we've been looking at over this last few weeks, is a marvelous epistle that demonstrates with clarity the doctrine of what we call the preeminence or the, the superiority of Jesus Christ. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy have been talking to the Colossians and showing us that Jesus is greater than. That everything else points to Him. Everything else is supposed to be a sign that says He's the one that we worship. He's the one that comes in first place. Everything else is insignificant in and of itself if it's not pointing to what it was created for. And so He's the greater Creator. He's a greater Master. He is um, the one who in, in Him we have a greater identity, a greater walk, a greater ministry. Last week, we saw how the church of Colossae was being lied to. They had a group of false teachers that were coming in. And, and they were saying, look, you know, Jesus is great and all, but, but there's something better than Jesus that we want to offer to you. And they were trying to persuade them that, that these things, these, these things were greater than Jesus, and if they really wanted to have a relationship with God, that they, they had to follow certain rituals. They had to ground their growth in an experience that was dependent on, on man-made rules. And God says, no, no. It's, it is in Christ that you will be rewarded with great treasure and great glory. It's Jesus who is superior to worldly wisdom. He is superior to the law. He is superior to different and systems of spirituality that the world offers to And Paul and Timothy, they didn't want the Colossians cheated out of their reward. He wanted them to understand the superior life that they already had. Not something that was coming in the future. Not something that was just reserved for heaven. But the greater life that they already had because they were already in Jesus Christ who is greater than all things. Amen overall. Well, that's the message of the first two chapters. And the world offers you other stuff. It says, come over here. You're going to like this. Look, this is going to bring you fulfillment. Hey, you, you need this. This is what's going to give you purpose and meaning. 
The first two chapters show us how Jesus is greater than all the other stuff that the world offers you today. In the next two chapters, he's going to show us how to live with a greater purpose as we serve the one who is greater than all else. When your life is a sign that points to Jesus, then the one who is greater than then you know great glory. And in verses 1 to 4, which is all we're going to look at today, um, the, the, this is the hinge piece that, that sums up chapters 1 and 2 and introduces us to the content and all the application that we're going to see throughout chapter 3 and 4. Give me the first couple verses. Paul and Timothy write to the Colossians and say, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above things. Chapter 3 begins with a, a very big word. If. I have. It's a huge word. And, and normally I, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time in Greek and grammar. Every once in a while I teach you. We're going to do that a little bit today. Not because it's going to person, but, but because this is really important to understand as we look at the rest of this chapter. Am I, am I going off? Okay, how's that? Sorry for those of you online. So what we're going to do today is look at this word if. I just want to introduce you to the way the Greek handles something like this. Again, not because I want to complicate it, but this, this is actually going to help us understand a lot of what chapter 3 and particularly these first four, four verses does. You see, in English, if I say the word if, it's just the word if. It's a tiny little word that, you know, it can mean all kinds of things depending on what I tell you that comes after that. But in Greek, there are special ways that, that Paul can take the grammar of it and he can, he can move the words around that tells you specifically how he intends that word. You see, sometimes I can use the word if. It means um, if this is true for the sake of argument, but we know that it's not true, then this also would be true. And so since we know that's not true, then we also know this isn't true. And so basically, if something's true and it's, and it's not, he can specifically tell you that just by changing a word in the sentence. That is not what he says here in Colossians chapter 3. He's not using that word if. There's another way of saying if in the original language where you can say, okay, look, if you do this, and it's a possibility, if, if you do this, then this will happen. We don't know yet because it hasn't happened yet. This is the word that, that Satan used when he tempted Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus. The devil says, Jesus, hey, if you worship me, then this is what I'll do for you. And so, it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen, and that is not the word that we find over here in Colossians chapter 3 either. And there's a couple other ways that, that Paul could have said things, and it basically it comes down to, if, if I do this, and there's some options here, and we don't really know, but there's nothing certain about it, then other things will follow. And those aren't the way that Paul uses this. What Paul does here in the original language is he uses this word, if, and he combines it with certain verbs and tenses that says, if this is true, and we assume that it is true, I'm going to move forward assuming that what, comes, what follows is absolutely true in your life. And so Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, I'm assuming that you are believers in Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that you are followers of Jesus. And so with that assumption in mind, if you have been raised with Christ, and Paul says, we're going to assume that that one you can take to the bank. And so that's what Paul uses here. It's a very specific construction in the original language. 
And if this is true and the implication Paul makes in Colossians is true, then you can count on this. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a new person in Jesus. The old you died with Christ. Your connection to the old life is just as dead as, as people that are buried next door. There's a completely separate reality. There's still that old life calling back to you saying, hey, come on back over here. But, but your ties to that realm are broken. The old you died with Christ on the cross, and you have been given new life. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, and Paul says, and you have, we're going to assume that you have, you have been raised with him, then today you are called to live with your purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, just like the Colossians, then you can take it to the bank that you have a greater purpose that you have been called to live by and live for. If Jesus is preeminent over all things, as is he? Absolutely. And he is. Then there are two commands that should shape your purpose-filled life. First, God commands the Colossians to seek the things that are above. If you're raised with Christ, and you are, then you must live out this purpose-filled life by seeking the things that are above. And the word that he uses here, it means to look for something with great intent. How many of you have misplaced anything? <laughs> wow, I, I, definitely, huh? Something of great value? Maybe a wedding ring somehow, washing dishes, and then all of a sudden it wasn't there? Maybe you're uh, looking for uh, some jewelry, a password, an important document. Last week I went to make a payment for something, and I, I pulled out the little sleeve from my wallet, and there was no credit card inside of it. I don't remember using that. I mean, I hadn't used it for months. I thought, where in the world is my credit card? And so I went to look for it, and I searched for it. And over the next couple of days, I tried to figure out where, 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 did I, where could I have left it. I checked my account to make sure there was no purchases being made that weren't supposed to be being, being made. And I was just ready to call the bank, and, and Angie gave me a call, and, and she had been searching for it as well. She looked one more time, and she found it underneath some papers, and somehow I had put it in a basket, and it just fell to the bottom. We were searching for it. It was something of value that was important. That's the word that was used here. Seek the things that are above. Intently looking to believe. Sorry, I'm a different microphone. I'm like, you know, I'm like Darth Vader up here. Seek the things that are above. Intently looking to, to belief and behavior that circulates in the realm of Jesus Christ. Your aims, your aspirations, your goals, your plans, everything in your life should be affected by this new greater purpose in your life in him. In chapter 2, we were reminded that we died to the old life, and now we are reminded that just as sure, just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, if Jesus rose from the dead, and did he? Absolutely. We can take that one to the bank. If Jesus rose from the dead, and if you have been raised with him, and you have, then you have a new life that is tied to his resurrection and tied to your life in him. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes. Did Jesus ascend into heaven? Yes. Was Jesus really exalted, and does he now sit at the right hand of God the Father? Yes, absolutely yes. And then just as sure as that is a reality, 
then you also have been given new life, not just life in the future. We think of eternal life in terms oftentimes of one day I'll go to heaven. One day I'll have this. But the Bible teaches that today you have this eternal life now. It is yours. There are obviously some ramifications of that and some experiences that go with that and our, our freedom from the presence of sin altogether that are in the future. But the reality that your life is in him and you've been raised with Jesus Christ is a reality today that you can take to the bank. And thus, everything in my life should be oriented to him who is above. And then Paul gives a second command, kind of clarifies the first. In verse 2, um, that's going to further clarify how we seek the things that are above. And he commands us to set your mind on things above. The way that we think has to be altered by our position in Christ. The way that I think has to be altered by the resurrection of Christ and my resurrection with him. Seeking and setting are commands that require daily acts of the will. When I think of setting my mind on something, it, it, this is not, it's not talking about good intentions. I'm th that's good. I hope you have them. But it's not just that. Setting your mind on things above isn't just some whimsical, theoretical goal that you have in life. We don't just say, boy, I hope I walk with Jesus someday. I hope I can conquer sin in my life. It's a reality today that you're expected to set your mind on these things because you're setting your mind on the one who is above, on Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Every day, I am called to make a decision that the way I live my life is driven by where Jesus sits right now. So what, what do we set our minds on? How do we do have you ever set your mind on something? Has there been something in life you went, I, I'm, I'm going to pursue this. I, I, I want this. We've been, we've been talking about going to Japan, and we set our mind on something. Well, that, some of that changes. And so it's, okay, let's, what does God have for us here? And, and we've been praying, Lord, where do you want us to be? What do you want us to be doing during this time? And so it's a shift of the mind. We set our mind on one thing, but okay, some things have to change, so what am I going to put my, set my mind on? In the same way, we are to set our mind on things that are above. Maybe you've seen a car that you set your mind on. You, um, what, what do you do when you set your mind on that car? How does that change things? Well, I'm going to spend money differently. It's going to change the way that I act, the way that I, my behavior through the day. It's going to change how I spend um, the, the, money, the extra money that I have because I'm saving up for something else. The daily choices that I make are going to be based on the, the, the goal and what I, of what I have set my mind on, a different reality. What are some of the things that, that you think about when you have nothing else to do? There, there you have a picture of what it means to set your mind on something. We all do it. We all go there, and there's those things we keep on coming back to, and, and we spend a lot of time thinking about this thing. You've set your mind on it, and God says, I want you to do that with Jesus. I want you to do that so that everything that you do and say and think that your goals and your life is oriented around setting your mind on Christ in that same way and more so. Daily, our mind is set on different ideas, problems, goals, aspirations. And the message of Colossians is that if Jesus is really greater than all these other things, if you have been raised to new life with Christ as a Christian, and you have, then seek after the things that are above like it is the treasure that it is.
Set your mind on things above where Jesus is and put that before all else. In verses 3 and 4, he's going to move on, and, and now he's going to show us two, he's going to show us three reasons. He wants us to see three reasons for your new purpose-filled life, beginning with verse 3. He says this, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, he starts, he starts with another big word, for. There are three reasons to live your life set on things above. One is in the past, one is set in the present, and the other is in the future. Again, note that they, they are definite realities. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, past tense, you died. You died to the old self. It, it no longer has authority in your life. You've been separated from it. It calls to you and says, hey, remember me? But you don't serve that master anymore. You serve a new master, and you are his. And you died to that. It's done. It's not hypothetical. The old Jeff that was filled with anger, the propensities that I had as a seven-year-old before I trusted Christ, inclinations towards addiction and towards hatred, towards bitterness and hidden fury. As a seven-year-old boy, I remember it. I was going down a road that I would have been in a back alley in the next eight years at seven. I hated life. I hated people. I hated my brother. I hated me. It's done. That died. God pulled me out of that and rescued me from that as a, as a young child, and it died. And my friends, I have been to several funer funerals lately, and guess what happens when something's dead? Unless it is raised to life by Jesus, it stays dead. And God says that your old self is dead. It's no more. So stop serving it. This morning, we're going to celebrate with Felipe. I think he just walked out, didn't he? <laughs> so we'll talk about him behind his back. We're going to celebrate with Felipe, who's asked to be baptized because he wants you as the body to know. There he is. He wants to use the body to know that he is a new person in Jesus. He and I have been talking about some theology, theology lately. We've got a young Augustine here. He, he's more articulate about some of his, what he believes than, than a lot of us as adults. Uh, it's exciting to see his understanding of, of what Jesus did for him and what he's going to do today. But he wants you to know as the body that he is a new person. Three of our young adults are heading down to Oklahoma, and they're going to also obey Jesus this week by following in him baptism down there. The, 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 that, bap, that baptism is a picture of a spiritual reality that we are no longer who we used to be and we have been raised with Christ. You have died. And in the present tense, your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you are a believer, then the eternal life that God gave to you, the new life that, has, that you have in Christ, it is, it is hidden. It is unable to be touched by anyone the concept here is, is it's the concept of concealing something in order to protect it. Uh, the, word, the word hide, we kind of sometimes think of, you know, I can't find it. Where is it at? That, that's not what he says here. Hidden means it's protected somewhere. I want to protect an investment. What do I do? I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to say, hold this for me. Put it somewhere safe. And if we have been risen with, if we have been raised with Christ, who is greater than all else, then we are to seek and set our minds on things above because we are no longer who we once were, and because we have become, because who we have become is protected by God himself. 
we are children of God, forgiven, freed, redeemed by Christ, and called to a life of purpose that points to the one who is greater than we are. And this present reality is sure. It is safe because it's protected by God himself. But notice there's a third reason for the in, third reason for what he tells us in the first couple verses that happens in the future. And it's also a reality that is just as sure as the past. It is just as safe as the present. We think of the future and we think of heaven and go, well, someday, if, maybe, right? No. It, it, take it to the bank. Just as much as you are dead to sin, just as much as your life is now hidden with Christ, your future is also sure. It is a done deal. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a beautiful statement here that, that's somewhat parenthetical in the passage. Christ is going to appear one day. We believe that. He's coming again. He's going to appear. He's going to come back for his church. But in the middle of that statement of Jesus' appearance is this statement that Christ is your life. Christ, who is your life, will appear. He doesn't just give us life, but our entire being as a follower of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in Jesus. He says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life in him will be most fully realized when he returns. When he calls the church to himself and the dead in Christ shall rise from their graves, he will, we will appear with him in glory. And again, that, that word glory, I, I think it's best described by the word wow. When we talk of God's glory, wow, amazing, glory. Jesus is wow. And when we appear with him, we get to share in that wow. We will appear with him in his glory. If and for. These are two big words. But we have been raised with Christ. We live in him today. It is a reality with past, present, and future reasons for the life that we live today with a greater purpose if you're here today and you go i i, I don't have that life I, I i don't have jesus and okay maybe he is greater than don't don't put him off choose him recognize that he that, that, that in yourself there's nothing that you can do to save yourself there's nothing that you can do to accomplish these things there is no life apart from christ we are saved when we recognize that I, I am separated from a holy God in my sin. And I need Jesus because he is the one who came and he paid the price that, that I was supposed to pay. He paid the penalty for sin that I was supposed to suffer. He gave himself for you out of his great love for you. And he didn't just stay dead. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He rose from the dead. And again, he is at the right hand of God the Father today. And he calls to you and says, believe me, put your entire eternity rested on me and what I did for you. 
And if you believe me, I will give to you eternal life. My friends, we serve a superior God, Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He is first. Therefore, because you have been raised with Christ, you live with a greater purpose. And we can't miss that. We don't have the time for that. We don't have the time to set our mind on everything else around us and to ignore the thing that is the most important, to ignore the things that our life is supposed to be a sign that points to. And if our line is life is pointed somewhere else, then we're missing our purpose. We can't miss that Jesus is still preeminent and we still have our life in him because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's not dependent on our successes and failures. It's not dependent on the things that you do in this life and the career that you choose and the, and, and the, the choices that you make. It's dependent on who Jesus is and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. He is the one who holds it secure. What Paul's talking about here in this passage is, is what we celebrate when, when we celebrate in baptism. And so uh, we're going to have a couple songs here. We're going to do things just a little different. The music team's going to come up. We're going to sing two songs. Felipe and I are going to go back and get ready. And uh, we're going to continue our service, but um, our baptismal is in another room. And so think of our service as just continuing uh, elsewhere. And so after the two songs, when Scott dismisses us, I'd like to invite all of you to come back, make room for, uh, there's some chairs up front for the family and for those that, that would maybe need a chair more than others. And um, make sure that you're not kind of gathering in the hallway, but let's... Um, Let's all move into that other room so everybody has a spot. Scott, if you would lead us in a time of praise. Uh, would you please stand? Sing a couple of songs here.